Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot CEO. Don't forget to add the two-on-one podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of your application. Now get ready for the rest of the episode. Guys, we're back. I'm Adam, that's Mike, and we <laughs> are back on the show, right? I guess so, yeah. No, that's actually yeah. how it goes? I think so. Okay. It is April 7th. We're a week out from April Fool's. We should have done this a week ago. I know we should have. Okay. It probably um, would have been funny. I'm Daniel. That's Alex, yeah, I'm not still Mike. Here. Yes, we, we are uh, still here. Um, what is Adam? Oh, and we're back there. So I just and added that back. one in there. Yeah, so we have a lot of topics to go through. Um, oh. I wasn't here last episode. It's uh, it's uh, it's like Adam and I have been uh, missing each other the last few days. Yeah. You know, it's always one or the other on the show, but I assure you the three of us will be back together soon. I think on Sunday. Yeah. The day before stuff. the trade deadline. Yes, we, we may or may not begin recording at 12.30 p.m. and not stop until the next day at 5 p.m. Maybe. Yeah. Is that we'll when see. the deadline is, 5 p.m.? Yeah. three. Is it three or five? It's one of them. You know, we probably should check this, but, you know, <laughs> that's okay. okay. You know, the, okay. The thing, that's the thing. I remember, like, usually they'll be, like, it, it's 3 p.m., but then, like, for example, a trade breaks at like two fifty nine, and we don't yeah. hear about the full details until five p.m. So I know I I asked Adam this last uh, on Sunday. I, what what are you going to do next Monday for the trade deadline? What I don't know. I feel like we have to go to tradition, and the big tradition we have here for some reason is we eat pizza on a special day. So I got to get pizza or Golden that's Star. True. That's true. You know. That's true. That's true. Are you yeah. going to watch from 8 a.m. to, uh, I guess, till 3 or 4, whenever they decide to end? You know, the funny thing about that is every year I'm like, you know, you know, nothing's going to happen or I'm going to see the full details of everything around 3 or 4 p.m., but I'm yeah. still going to wake up early and just just watch the whole thing. Like, Right. The one thing I really enjoy about these is on TSN, James Duthie. Yes. He reiterates the trades I've already heard about maybe two or three times already before like they come back from commercial and I still love it. I'm like, I still want to hear him describe everything I missed. You got to feel bad for him and, uh, and Merrick because you know, the first part of the day, usually it, it usually isn't that fast paced. It's actually quite slow. And then it kind of starts to pick up around just after lunch because I remember last year what happened was obviously we were, we were still in school and I had a class until about three o'clock maybe. So just towards the end of the trade deadline and I left my class and I got to my next class and I had Adam and I were in, in a class together and the Brady Shea trade broke as I'm walking from one class to the other. And it completely caught me off guard. I think it caught most people off guard, but unfortunately because of COVID we, I cannot see you guys on trade deadline day. Was that the last time you saw Adam? No, no, in no. person. No, 
okay. it would have been a few weeks because the the trade deadline is usually at the end of February. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So we still had a few weeks before. Uh, yeah, before all this. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be kind of. I think there's the meme going on where it's we have to try to learn how to. You know, even though we're we know the people who are in our lives through Zoom, we have yeah. to become reacquainted with being with them in person. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's it's gonna be weird. Like, there's a lot of things I, I've been thinking about uh, that it's just not the same. I I, I was seeing um, the Texas Rangers playing the Blue Jays. I had it on the background as I was doing my schoolwork uh, last night or two nights ago, and they have a full stadium. Yeah, freaked me out. It just caught me off guard. Like, whatever. Like, dude. Like, th- those are the rules. People are gonna do it. Just like here, Yorkdale's open. People are gonna go. Um, but it just caught me off guard because I haven't seen that in over a year now. Like, I saw it once over the summer because I think New Zealand had some type of event at a soccer stadium and they had twenty thousand people. <laughs> I think it was about twenty thousand people in there. So. It just caught me off guard. That's crazy. Yeah, I think that's a big thing too, just readjusting to all of that. But I guess when we get onto the topics today, moving on, Taylor yes. Hall out of yeah. the lineup. Uh, it was uh, it was expected though, right? Like th- yeah. this, it doesn't come as a surprise. But I think you know, uh, last night on Insider Trading, I don't remember if it was Drager or LeBron who had said this, but. They have four games until until next Monday. And you're not going to keep Taylor Hall out of four games if trade talks are intensifying now, right? So it seems like the expectation is that he gets traded before Monday, which, like, I just – I already feel horrible for uh, James Duthie and Jeff Merrick. If that goes down before then, I feel even worse. I was thinking of the positive, like you know, we we will have uh, some great content to dissect on Sunday. That but, is uh, true. That too. Yeah, we got to feel for the other guys too in the uh, in the major media networks. But again, I think it's this. Yeah, what you said. It was expected to to kind of happen. Um, I think this is really the right move. You know, one of many, one of very few right moves the Sabers have had this year is just kind of realize where they are and get something for Taylor Hall. But I guess like you want to talk about it now, or you want to talk it talk about it later when uh you mentioned my own kind of trade i guess scenarios with things yeah why well, i i, I want to ask you a question first and mm-hmm. then i want i want you to give us because you weren't here on sunday and taylor hall was kind of one of the bigger names we talked about the the rumor going around is that the asking price for taylor hall includes a first round pick is there a team who would actually give up a first round pick for Taylor Hall? Like I know he's been, he was an MVP. He's a former first overall pick, but he has two goals. Yes. He has 19 points, but he has two goals this year. Yeah. I think we've mentioned it before and we've used them in so many trade situations. And I think a team that is going to give up to him is going to be the same thing where we saw with the lightning from last year, where, you know, they were just throwing picks everywhere to get the guys that they felt just led them there that, you know, in a hypothetical sense, when you think first round pick, you don't think getting a, you know, first round pick and 
a prospect for Blake Coleman or um, you know, a Barclay Goudreau, even though they got back a third in that trade with the Sharks. But I think it has to be that scenario where it's a team that's kind of going for it. So for me, it would be either Carolina or Colorado. Really, those two teams that have the cap and the teams that, you know, ideally from where they are, where they think they are in terms of their core, that that pick's going to be in the in the 30s or it's going to be in the really late 20s depending on how far they go with the run and i think they've drafted pretty well they have a lot of young guys that not exactly the top tier guys they're going to give up but someone that you could add with that pick um so it's interesting i think also with colorado they just they just keep hitting on all their draft picks they could afford to give up this this year's they 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 probably could i just i don't know i don't know if there's the justification to give up uh, a first round pick for Taylor Hall. And I, I, I know it's a Buffalo and we'll get to Eric Stahl later. Cause he actually had quite a first, quite yeah. a first game <laughs> for Montreal. Um, but what, since you weren't here last episode, what, what did you, what was your trade prediction for, uh, for Taylor Hall? For me, it was kind of going to Colorado as more as I think, it's just a better fit for me because of the quality of the guys they have around and the veterans they kind of have. And it's just more of a situation where they could give him the time to kind of rebuild some of that confidence, rebuild some of that stride he has in them. So yeah, for sure. It's going to be either a first round pick or really I I would have, if if it's not the first round pick, I would have thought of a Martin Kout going somewhere else just because of the, it's the sheer depth they have, or even a Connor Timmons going the other way with maybe like a lower end pick if it's not the first, but it's certainly something that you, I think you still have to give something of substance right. for Taylor Hall, but it's exactly that type of player. That's not going to break the bank at all for the avalanche because they just have an abundance. Yeah. I, I think <clears throat> we look at last year's when he was traded to Arizona and I don't know if you can use that, like use that as saying, well, this is what Taylor Hall's value was or what his value is. I don't think you can do that because his last, the he wasn't spectacular in Arizona and, you know, considering the team around him. Yes. And he hasn't been spectacular in Buffalo either. And yes, the team around him. So that's why I still go back to that first round pick plus. And I'm like, I, I don't know if a team is, really willing to pay for that. I think there's other options out there that might not necessarily be as good as Taylor Hall, but the price is so much, the price could be so much less that it's actually more intriguing for those, for teams to go for other guys. For sure. I think that, and it's kind of crazy when we talk about this now where in a year you see a trade of, or not more than a year of Taylor Hall, going but i think it's just the expectations now because when he went to arizona he was meant to be that guy they still were thinking mvp taylor hall that we're gonna let this guy drive the play that in the ideal situation it should have meshed with phil kessel or something or clayton keller which really was not the case but i think now you you're right where you think about okay first round pick taylor hall which taylor hall are you getting now and i think the reality is he kind of knows he knows to a certain point that he's just not that guy anymore in in what we saw with New Jersey. He's just not that focal point anymore that 
I think the Sabres going to have to realize that too when it comes to uh, trade value because they held on to him long enough. It's an expiring deal. He could just walk if the deal, if the, if everything is like really not there because, you know, he's as good as gone, I think from Buffalo. This is like, if we're going to use a basketball situation, like this is not a legacy Cal Lowry situation where if he, if, if he leaves, he, you know, it's a, it's a big thing. But I think with Buffalo, they, they, they realize that this guy's gone. We need to get something because we still are looking for that identity. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're spot on there. I, I really can't see the only way I see Buffalo or Taylor Hall staying in Buffalo is if they're willing to offer him more money than he think he and Darren Ferris think they can get on the open market. It just it's interesting to me that you know maybe we don't know like I guess the personal aspect of it of you know maybe he's become a beloved person in Buffalo or you know he just loves the city so much. But I think it just given where he is now, I'm like doesn't he want to win? Like he's gone through Edmonton, he's gone through. New Jersey where they made the playoffs once and then he went to Arizona where you know they got destroyed by the Avalanche and then now he's here in Buffalo doesn't he want to win he's going to turn 30 he I can I can imagine he wants to win and I think that is evident by you know I think he has a no move or no trade clause and you know the fact that he is more than willing to say please like yeah go ahead trade me to wherever I think that's evident in saying maybe Buffalo – sorry for the doorbell if you heard it. No um, maybe it's evident that, like, I, I I don't know. Maybe Buffalo isn't – we've heard multiple times before. Buffalo is not – not the city, the team. There's something, there's something wrong in Buffalo with something. I, I don't know what it, what it is. And I, I don't think Taylor Hall is going to be attracted to that per se. It's, it's crazy to think about because, again, like a premier player a year and a half ago. And now it's it's these are supposed to be the times where he's in his prime. And you think about hypothetically like a team would give him that big deal that he wants. But the reality is just the way his production's been. It's just it might be another one year deal in the in the open market. Yeah, you're, you're, you're probably, you're right. I, I think it's probably, it's going to be a short term deal. Like I can't see this off season for a guy like Taylor Hall being any type of term, long-term term involved because of number one, the cap not going anywhere anytime soon and COVID. For sure. And on that point with COVID, yeah. um, Vancouver Canucks, yeah, you well, I mean, since last episode, uh, there's it's been, been getting worse. Yeah, yeah, like multiple players have been uh, have been confirmed to test positive. I think now it's it's up to 21 players, along with their fa- some of their family members and staff of the of the team. And Adam and I talked about it last episode. Obviously, we actually talked about it two episodes ago after Adam Gaudet was confirmed to he that he tested positive. And obviously that later that night they canceled the, they postponed the game. Um, I, I don't have anything to add. I think everything I, that I said last episode stands, 
I just was wondering what you thought about it. For me, um, I think there's a lot of things. I think two things. First, Sportsnet had a great article about Bo Horvat, and it's something that you know you you know, but you don't think about where he he's like the vi- like he's talking about the realities of the athlete we see on the ice and someone who's actually a family man and just that fear he kind of has now where like if he contracted it is he going to be is it something that he's going to tra- like transmit to his family it's just a whole different situation where i think like getting out of that whole game mentality just like we have to think about everything else in terms of safety and i think Sid Sixero, which by the way i love he still has the hot takes yeah even for breakfast television like i love that he still retweets you know tim and friends that's so good yeah but he had an interesting tweet as well where he said you know this is more than hockey like even if the vancouver Canucks don't play another game for the whole year that what's necessary has to happen and it is just a scary situation especially that they they've mentioned already that it's the brazilian variant that it's a lot worse and players are just ill and for me, I just it's scary because I think a big thing is, and it's it's been uh, all changed in the last year where the whole thing where if young people contract it, then I don't know, like maybe their immune system will be stronger. But I think about pro athletes where these guys are meant to be in like the best shape of their lives, literally. and they're the ones, yeah, literally, and they are the ones that have reported that they're feeling ill and they're just lethargic and they can't do anything. And it's just, again, like if, if you take it seriously before, then this is a big wake up call as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I was talking about with someone uh, talking about this whole situation with someone as well. And it's not even just NHL players, right? Like I, I, I've been reading a couple uh, I read a couple articles about UFC fighters who had battles with COVID and it was just, there was one guy who kept getting booked, but he kept having to pull out of fights because he was still feeling the effects of COVID. And like, this isn't over a span of week. Like this was over a span of a couple, two to three months. It, it felt like, and like, yeah, it, it, it should be a wake up call. I, I hope it is a, I mean, for me, like I've been stuck in this house for over a year. Like, yeah, in the summer, I think as the restrictions loosen, I was seeing a group of people, but it's not like I was kind of going anywhere spectacular. I was going to a restaurant and we literally, we sat outside every single time, right? There was a good portion where we could have sat inside, but we said, number one, it was nice outside. Number two, safety. Well, Mm -hmm. other way around, but it should be a wake up call. And you know, the, there's all this stuff about the, the vaccines. And I was reading an article yesterday, the entire TFC, all of TFC already got vaccinated, not here. Like they're not playing here. They're playing in Florida. I, I believe somewhere in Florida. I don't remember exactly where, but that's where they got vaccinated because they have the vaccines there. And I mean, I have my issues. I've, quite clear on them but like that that's a separate conversation like we we're so close but it feels like we are so far i completely agree and um on that point about tfc i remember um 
people joked about it, but you know, it kind of hit me that yeah. you know. So there's two Canadians on the Oklahoma City Thunder, Lugens Dord and Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, and they were vaccinated last week, and people were saying, "Oh, so you have to play in the NBA as a Canadian to get vaccinated." <laughs> That like this is the only way, or you know the Raptors, where they're probably gonna all get it now. Like I, I don't know if they already got it, but again, it's just, it's just, it's a bit complicated. It's a bit frustrating, I think. It's frustrating because we're like here. It feels like we're patting ourselves on the back that we got to a hundred thousand vaccines a day in Ontario which is like 0.8% of the population a day. And like in the U S I know it's a bigger, it's the bigger country, but they're vaccinating like almost double in terms of percentage of population a day. Yeah. It, that's where I get, that's where it's frustrating for me. And it's just like, ah, come on. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's just, and we can go on a lot about this, but it's just, it's, it's a weird situation and when you say like the patting on the back kind of thing yes. um i think that really applies to to the north division as well where again we we've, we've mentioned it countless times where i think people were shocked when all these things were going on where all these cases were coming up and it's because i think that again the mu- bubble mentality that it went so well in the playoffs in toronto and edmonton that it's going to be the same thing with the north division and then like it's like we're immune to what was going on in the u.s where a lot of these breakouts with the dallas stars with the minnesota wild and so on but i think it's just further proof that it's 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 as we're it's 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 really bad here too it's not i don't know if it's as if it's worse but it's certainly another situation where coupled with you know the the vaccine rollout that it just makes it even more complicated right like yeah it, and I think I brought this up on the podcast before. Um, it, it's it's just frustrating. Everyone's, you know what I mean. Like again, yeah. today the Rangers got they just they they announced that everyone's getting back. Their entire team was getting vaccinated today. The 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 stars already got vaccinated, and it's like the North Division is kind of just just sitting there. And I do, but I really do believe that the, the North division, I don't want to speak on the other divisions because I don't, I, I, I couldn't tell you, but it feels like there was a buy-in to this system because from day one, for whatever reason, the federal government was kind of playing hardball with professional sports and saying, you have to have these strict rules. And, and I feel like the players bought into that and, I'm not, I don't want to speculate. I want to speculate where they got, where these guys got the, where they got COVID from. Cause it literally could be from anywhere that mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want, I, I'd hate to do that because they literally could have gotten from everywhere and it would just tear down all the work that they potentially did in buying into this system. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's tough for some, for us, I guess, Canadians to kind of stomach, this um, again, I every time you mention the Rangers game with the Blue Jays, it just it just gives me a weird like I don't know if it's for you as well, but it's a weird gut feeling where it's like I'm not again like I'm not used to seeing this or it, it's a weird like sense of like 
things going too quickly or is this like just a bit of hope that hopefully everybody in that arena is vaccinated? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Like, I, I, I guess we'll see in Canada, at least all these, the va- more vaccines are coming. So hopefully things will ramp up. Um, just, I guess, to move on from the COVID situation, Daniel, you were right, uh, by the way, about Thatcher Demko. Oh, <laughs> did take the lo- he did take the longer term deal. It wasn't eight years, but it was longer than a bridge deal. He signed a five year deal at five million uh, with a five million dollar cap hit. What would what do you think of that deal? Wow, I mean, given where the Canucks are, yeah, um, because of him and how he's been lights out. He, he gave them a very team-friendly deal. Right. That this is a guy that he has shown that he can be a number one. He has bailed them out more than once in in two seasons, literally, from the from the bubble to now. And he got five million dollars over five years. Like that type of security is something that again, like, and we don't say that a lot, but you know, congrats to Jim Benning. But wow, that could have been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, like I'm surprised it even it got done now. I'm surprised it, didn't, it go into the off season. Uh, maybe Thatcher Demko is saying, "Hey, here you go. Here is five. Here's an extra five years of me at five million dollars." I, I think one of the bigger things, um, and I brought it up. We didn't get into detail about it last episode, but. Uh, Ian Clark, their goaltending coach, is up also at the end of the year, and and I, I don't want to make this sound like Jacob Markstrom was nothing, like he's nothing without Ian Clark, but he's not great. Like he hasn't been great this year, and I think that's a mul- multiple. There's multiple reasons for that, but I do think we've seen in the past how impactful goaltending coaches can be uh, to goalies. And I think keeping Ian Clark along with keeping Thatcher Demko it would, is going to be a really good combination. They just got to get that deal done too. Yeah, I completely agree that they found a sense of stability there now that for all the, not chaos, but all of the inconsistency they had for everything kind of happening that there's some semblance of Hope for the future, hope that everything will fit in with what they have with their young core moving forward. That what he said too, like when they want to be competitive again, that that like that stability will be there. That you're not gonna have like these situations where, and I, you know, worst case scenario, and I'm not saying he's a horrible goalie, but he's not necessarily his uh, Vesna winning uh, form right now, but like going with Braden Holtby which would have been a funny narrative in a way because of just the fact of the amount the, the type of contracts Jim Benning gives to veterans would have yeah. been would have been weird but I mean like I, I think that Jodemko wanted to stay there he wanted to be part of the solution so I, I think the Canucks really got lucky with this one they have something there I, I said it last episode don't like don't downplay the guys, they, the young guys, even the some of the older guys they have in that locker room. I know they're having a bad season. I, 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 I just think that's more because of 
what's surrounding them and losing key pieces that, you know, they should have kept just the cap restricted that, right? Like Pedersen Hughes, Besser, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Thatcher Demko, now Niels Hoglander. They still have guys who have yet to play in the NHL yet, but are projected to be like, this is a team that could, will, will eventually do damage if managed correctly. They just, yeah, they just, you know, I mean, it's funny. This is a high ceiling, but this is also a cautionary tale. They could be the 2010 Blackhawks, but just manage the contracts better. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I I agree. Like the way they handle the Pedersen and Hughes contracts this summer will like, they are very, it's going to be very important. Like a length money uh, ter like length and dollar value are going to be extremely important because the next couple of years pat like the next couple of years past this season they still have deals to figure out besser horvat miller adam goddet is also rfa this summer right they like, over the next three years they're gonna have some contracts to deal with it's not mm-hmm. gonna be fun yeah I think that's just going to be another like phase two of how we're going to deal with a lot of these things. Yeah, that, that is, uh, that is true. Moving from, I guess, one goaltender and Thatcher Demko to another and Elvis Merz Lincolns. I think I said that right. Um, One of the uh, best names (laughs) in the league. Yes. Uh, David Pagnotta yet in his late further from the fourth period in his latest article had written, don't be surprised if Elvis Merz Lincolns is moved. I thought that was interesting. I know we had him on our trade board, but it just felt like they had two guys there and they just had to pick uh, one of them. And I guess they've picked Jonas Carpasalo. Yeah, I remember reading about this. I believe it was listening. No, no, not reading. Listening a bit on 31 Thoughts where I remember Elliot Friedman mentioned, I think this was three weeks ago, where I think Corpusala was going to be their guy, um, you know, since the beginning, simply because in terms of extension, in terms of communication, it was just a bit better with his agent. Um. And I think where Columbus is right now that they could really cash in and get something for Elvis Mers Lincolns. And I believe for my trade prediction, I actually had him going to Carolina, um, which I think makes sense because they could get one of their young pieces that is going to be exposed to Seattle. So find a package around there. So there's something I think, again, what we said before is the blue jackets last year were saved by Mers Lincolns and Corpus where, they lose Sergei Bobrovsky that, you know, they lost a lot of forwards, Matthew Shane, uh, Artemi Panarin, like Randy Zingle, but these goalies really shine for them. And I think it was going to be a fun tandem moving forward, but I think that it's just unrealistic for a team that's going to be carrying two goalies in their prime when really the Blue Jackets, I, I don't predict them really taking like another step next year, especially when, you know, we don't know what Patrick Lina's extension is going to look like or, if if there's an extension or really like if there's a commitment for him staying in Columbus, you know, is, is John Tortorella going to be there long-term? Um, you got to think about paying. 
okay, we had technical issues twice. Again, we're fine. It's okay. Daniel, go back to what you were saying about Columbus. For sure. Um, what I've mentioned before is just really the reality of this current roster that how long does Yarko Kekalainen believe that a system he's really established there is going to go so far for them that I realize they're not a big market, but you just, it's really hard for me to see them keep talent there, especially these guys who are going in their prime, like a Patrick Laine or wanting to pay a Seth Jones or really not having like the guy in the system that, you know, you're, you're just kind of banking on this guy to come in and help them. Like, you know, no disrespect for, um, Igor Chinnikov, but I just don't see him as being like someone that's going to come in and really steer this roster because the reality is like, I'm not saying it's a bad team. Like there's a lot of great players there, but these are guys that just really bought into, bought into the system that I just don't think you could win with like uh, Oscar Bjorkstrand or a Cam Atkinson or a David Savard who may get traded according to our big board. But I think it's just not enough there. And I think Kekalainen has to kind of realize now that you can only go so far with a team. And, you know, when you have a star player like a Patrick Laine not really fitting into what you're trying to build there, it's tough. It's tough if you just take out that equation because I think that they pivoted pretty well after Rick Nash. But I, I don't know. It's just it's just it's just hard for me to kind of think. And I know that we really trailed off from uh, Elvis Mers Lincoln's as the original thing, but I think he's just a representative of you can't ride a quality tandem like this with a with a team which doesn't really have like a legitimate understanding of what their direction really is. Yeah, they're in a weird. Uh, they're in a very not weird, but maybe interesting situation because for the last few years, we, it felt like they had such a good, good thing there, right? Even, you know, that last season with Panarin and Bobrovsky, they brought in Duchesne, they brought in uh, Dezingle. Uh, they also brought in, I guess, Adam McQuaid as well. They, they, they beat the lightning in the first round, couldn't get past the Bruins. And then, Things kind of, it felt like things kind of trailed off from there where, you know, they lost those, they lost Panarin and Bobrovsky. Obviously they beat the Leafs in the playing round. And then the, that first lightning game, which went to five overtimes was really entertaining, but I think you're right. Like what is this team? It felt like Yarmo Kekalainen in the summer try transitioning trying to say okay we need a little more skill and a little more scoring because right now what we have isn't getting us far it's getting us into the playoffs but it's not getting us far plus the fact Pierre-Luc Dubois didn't really want to be there that's a separate issue and it seems to be that it's not working for whatever reason whether it's the con the composition of the roster whether it's the coaching i have a feeling it's a mix of both but you're right like what is this team and i think maybe this coming off season is a really good opportunity for yarmo kekalainen to take a step back and say okay what do i want to do this do with this team because you know john tortorella doesn't have a contract pass this year and i think you have to ask the question and i've heard i've seen it from columbus fans saying some of them want Tortorella. Some of them simply blame guys like Line, and others saying, "Hey, man, like, get like Torts out of here. Like, it's just not working." 
So that's, I think that's, it's a really good opportunity for Kekaline in this summer. Yes. Plus Merz Lincolns has term and you could get a pretty sizable thing for him. That, that is, uh, that is true. Um, anything else about Merz Lincolns before we move on? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of be tough. I think that, uh, to kind of really gauge on, because he is one of those overager guys that he had a really good world championships for Latvia, but you know, it took him quite a while to get to North America. So there is, again, like there is that international experience there, but I, I like teams committing to him is just, do they view him as going to, as a legitimate number one moving forward? Yeah, that, that will be the defining question because there's teams who are looking for number ones and is this guy your guy? I guess mm-hmm. is the question. Um, just just to move on, I want. I guess we'll do two things here. We're gonna. Lo- I want to look at the fourth division in the West because it's starting to get a little bit interesting. Um, three teams kind of in the mix for that one, and then I want to take a look at St. Louis because I believe it was Saravelli on Insider Trading last night brought up something interesting. Uh, first off, right now you're, <laughs> man. <laughs> You might actually be right <laughs> twice in just this division alone, right? Minnesota sit th- in third place uh, with five points, uh, five points ahead of Arizona. St. Louis are actually five points out of a playoff spot. Right now, Arizona is has 43 points in that fourth spot. And San Jose behind St. Louis also has 38 points. It's it's starting to look a little interesting be- because they're playing their own their own division the entire time. Mm-hmm. Maybe five points doesn't actually mean a whole lot, um, but it, it 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 could be a very interesting race for the rest of the season for that fourth spot. Mm-hmm. So two disclaimers beforehand. Uh, yeah. Number one, thanks again. Yes, I, I like that. I had two great <laughs> predictions for this division. And second, I know because Adam is going to mention this either to us personally or on the next episode. I was two out of three in this division. I said Anaheim was going to make the playoffs. I know that was That's a fun. horrible prediction, but I'm okay. I'm, I'm happy for the wild. I'm happy that they're surging. Um, I, I love that I get to cover them this year and just really, you know, have a more, uh, I guess, critical lens on what's going on within the organization. But I guess, yeah, too, for St. Louis, like you kind of have to feel for them where, and as what we mentioned before, where there's that cloud of the championship, that championship run that you have the established core and you're going to just try to, you know, run it back. And it just hasn't really been there that, and I'm not saying that this is indicative of what's been going on, but those Jordan Bimington outbursts that have, have I think, represented more of the season than I thought they would be, of just that frustration, of just that, you know, they're not getting killed every game, but it's just, it's not looking like the same championship team we saw. Right. So who do you think finishes in that fourth spot in the West? And it's crazy that every year we talk about this or they were in our off season. Like they, I personally believe they dominated our off season stories, not for the good reasons, but for all the wrong reasons that Arizona might pull it off, that they might be able to do something. And, you know, this might be something that 
is just again a streak they're having and blues are just having a bad streak right now the last 10 games but they've been pretty solid that like they've been able to kind of get something out of there and when you think about those two goalies they have right now i just i just don't think like if you are where you are right now like would you trade an anti rotten at this point uh well, I, it depends. Do you how much trust do you have in? I think Aiden Hill is their third string goalie. Mm-hmm. Do you trust him moving forward to be your backup? I've heard great things about about him. If that's the case, like remember, they don't have many draft pick like on their own fault. Draft. They don't like for for their own fault. Yeah, 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 of course. Like it's their fault. They're in that that situation for the most part, right? They don't have a first because it was taken away. Their third, I believe, was part of they traded away in the Taylor Hall. Uh they got a second. Uh, how did they get it? Oh, for Derek Stepan. Remember they got a second mm-hmm. for that. Somehow. Somehow, but again, like they're still without a first. And you know, maybe that doesn't matter as much this year cuz most a lot of prospects aren't playing, uh, the OHL especially. But I still think they they wouldn't mind having a first round pick. I think most teams wouldn't. Yeah. Do you get that from Anti Ranta, or do you get more uh, other pieces? Is a separate discussion, but I don't see why not. They don't I, try to yeah. trade. Again, I think it's. I would think of a Carolina situation where. They'll give up something substantial um, right. to Arizona because it's not going to hurt them in the long run. Also, right. they gave away a first round pick for Brady Shea. Not saying he's a bad player, but you know, like you didn't really have to. Like it's just funny. You say you side Jake Gardner. You have all these other defensemen, and then you also trade a first round pick for another defenseman, which is funny. Yeah, and apparently they're still looking for another defenseman. <laughs> yeah. Like they were, they called about Travis Hamonic. Uh, a few weeks ago, I remember hearing, I think uh, Friedman reported it. And it's like, why? Like, you literally have the. They can't help the themselves. This defense core, probably in the league. And whatever. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. What weird, weird situation. But I guess sticking with the West, last night, the Blues, it's. They said on Insider Train that the Blues would be willing to move UFAs. Um, the two that LeBron pointed out was Hoffman and Bozak. Mm-hmm. And let's remember that Doug Armstrong is not afraid to trade his UFAs, even if they're slightly out of a, a playoff spot, right? Uh, Kevin Sean Kirk, he traded to Washington. Paul Statsny, he traded to Winnipeg. So he's not afraid to do that. What do you think is the right move for the lose is this the way to go um to be honest i i think so i think trading away your ufas for now and getting some assets back would actually be helpful for them because again i'm not i'm not not, it's a weird patting myself on the back but i i kind of looked at this not as a drain on talent where i'm like you know losing alex petrangelo it was going to hurt them regardless of who were they going to replace them with. And I think that it's just that leadership aspect of what happened there was, was a big drain on it because Ryan O'Reilly is a perfectly capable captain, I think, but to really lose a guy who was like a cornerstone guy where he was your voice in the locker room, where he was someone that has been through 
you know, some pretty bad years in St. Louis and was there when they won it all. And to kind of lose him in like really a, really an odd situation there. And just adding these other guys where I think, listen, you got what you got for them, but you know, like Tori Kirby is still going to be a great player, but he's not Alex Petrangelo. Or if you're looking back on the other lines, like, you know, Justin Falk, was he really worth that price? Was he really worth getting, a, you know, trading a Joel Edmondson, a Dominic Bach for him? Was he someone that you could see yourself committing to long-term, which they did commit to long-term. And again, with the scoring as well, where it's, it's just been a bit lethargic there where when you keep these guys, are you just going to go for the immediate run? Or are you going to be, you're going to try to go and, try to see where things go because I know that, you know, the Tarasenko talk where it's just that whole thing where he's going to come back and he is going to be someone that could, could potentially help them. But listen, like this is a guy where he's not going to like lead the offense again. Not, not for now because of how long he's missed of how long he's been dealing with these injuries where the, the blues are just not in, they're not in a good situation to think about like going for it. And Jordan Bamington, like, Again, like I feel like my confidence is like gradually just kind of slides for him despite the extension he was given. I'm all on board with trading your UFAs if you don't think you have a chance to make the playoffs. Because I think we've seen from like I think we've seen from this roster. Yes, I know they're missing Alex Petrangelo, but we've seen from this roster that they came from the bottom. Um they've been through adversity so who like and it's the playoffs who know like literally we have no idea what could happen last season Mm -hmm. we literally saw thatcher demko just kind of not we we knew he had the ability but it kind of took form in in the bubble Mm -hmm. um i guess yes then if if Doug Armstrong believes that this team is not making the playoffs. Yeah, go right ahead. You could probably fetch something nice for Mike Hoffman, get a little bit for Tyler Bozak. Like, I don't think those two guys would necessarily come back specifically. Um, one guy who's a UFA who they didn't bring up last night, and, and I was wondering if maybe they're considering keeping him, is Jaden Schwartz. And I know he does have a modified no trade clause, but at least exploring that option, what would you do? Yeah, I it's 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 really weird because I like the player himself, but the fact that he has a modified more modified no trade clause and he has that injury history, it's certainly something that I think teams are going to think about because, like you know, the the Blues are they're in a bind where they could kind of keep a guy and kind of expect him to still be like a solid cog for them. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's a reality too. Just, is it time to kind of let go of him? He's going to be 29. He's 29, I believe now. Right. And it just, it was an injury after another injury where it's someone where I, I wouldn't feel comfortable always being in the top six at this point, at least. Well, they also have some guys they do have to hand out more some money to, and there's probably a couple guys here are going to get some raises. And you know, Zach Sanford, uh, Robert Thomas, 
Jordan Cairo, Ivan Barbashev, and Vince Dunn. Those are those are four RFAs right there that do have to get new contracts this this off season, and they have eighteen million dollars in cap space. Plus, are you really going to continue with Vili Huso as your backup next year? Yeah, I would. If you're a competitive team or you want to be, I'd say no. It's. It's like, yeah, it's just, uh, again, they're in a bind. I think maybe they can make that run because I look at this team, and it's funny, before coming into this episode, I was going to mention San Jose, but then they lost 5-1 to Anaheim. And uh, (laughs) I was just like, okay, you know, I thought they were getting somewhere, but, you know, they're not out of it per se, but uh, it is is interesting with the West where I think it's going to be a division. I think this is going to be the division we're going to look at maybe up until the last week of the season to just kind of see who wins. I think, and this is my prediction. I don't know if it's going to come true, but I think there's going to be a tie at fourth place between two teams. And they're going to go for like, they're going to look for all the tiebreakers there to see like, okay, maybe it's goals for maybe. Remember, yeah, we're going to remember that. Cause it's just so close for the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a hundred percent, hundred percent right there. Um, just before we move on to the Leafs and Habs games tonight, um, just two quick things we want to get get through here. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist apparently is going to see he has an appointment with a specialist because there is a chance he does continue to play uh, in the NHL, whether that's this year or in the future. And I think that I, I just I think that's a really great story. Um, like one of the most beloved guys in the league who who hasn't won a cup and imagine he comes back this year and helps out the Washington capitals to a Stanley cup. What a story Mm. that would be. I think so. I think, you know, I'm just crossing my fingers. Everything kind of goes well with it. And whatever the decision is that he's the best, one of the best to ever play that he was a generational talent, I think in goaltending for the New York Rangers and I, I, I feel for him. I understand the whole thing that's going on. But, you know, worst comes to worst, he doesn't get cleared. I, I just hope he knows. I think as we know, I just hope he knows that he was one of the best to play, that there's the legacy there regardless of whether or not he has a cup. It just health comes first right now. Yeah, 100%. And um, another guy, and this one's a little unfortunate, former NHL defenseman, uh, Alexi Emelin, now playing for an avant-garde Omsk in the KHL uh, is scheduled to undergo a liver transplant after being diagnosed with acute liver failure on Tuesday. Uh, and he's been transferred to the skill Skilovsky research Institute in Moscow, where he's in intensive care. So obviously well wishes to him and to his mm-hmm. family. And we hope everything goes perfect. We wish him the best because you know we like this is this is a tough situation too and it is just honestly yeah just best wishes and prayers out to go out to him and his family uh yeah for for sure um so let's go to the leafs and hab games tonight what do you want to do first you want to preview the leafs and the leafs and hab games tabs game tonight or you want to talk about stuff that's happened in the last two or three days before we go on, okay. uh, we'll talk about the we'll talk about the two three days first. Okay. 
Um, but before we go on, it's just weird that we're doing a preview of the Habs and Leafs without Adam. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's fine. It's, it's okay. okay. We'll be unbiased. I just added, actually, I just added to my Twitter bio. I, I put hashtag Leafs forever, but I try to be unbiased. So that's what we're going to try yeah. to do on day one. Uh, why don't we start with the Canadians? Uh, right. So the his first game against with the Canadians against the Edmonton Oilers the Montreal Canadian uh Eric Stahl sorry got the overtime winner for a comeback win they were down two nothing and they beat Edmonton ha 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 um sorry I'm unbiased but either way a great start to Eric Stahl's career as a Montreal Canadian what did you think about that Daniel it's pretty funny because I since it was after the NBA trade deadline, it's just a similar story I thought of where uh, people were saying, oh, Blake Griffin, uh, when he was bought out by the Pistons and he went to the, the Nets, it's like, oh, they're not a super team that, you know, Blake Griffin's past his prime, too many injuries. He just, the way he plays anymore is uh, like, it's too safe now. He doesn't go for the dunks anymore because of the injuries to his legs. And then he's like l- grabbing like alley-oops, going for dunks against the Nets, like for the Nets in his debut and it just reminded me of Eric Stahl's like he 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 lost it he can't score anymore and then he scores like the the biggest goal in his debut <laughs> yeah and and I think it's you know he he didn't have a great start to his career and to his time in Buffalo and as soon as he comes to Montreal it's just boom 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 and goal which should the- tell you a lot about what's going on in Buffalo it's the Buffalo effect, I'm telling you. Oh, there's probably loads of bu- of the Buffalo effect on every single player. Uh, every single player there. Another thing out of that game. <laughs> I-, I was watching the game with Adam, and it was it was so funny because we've been we he's been criticized, and I have as well. I don't like I don't think you should do this anyways. That the line matching in OT and and <laughs> it actually worked. Uh, with yeah. Philip Deneau this time. So I, I guess that's a good, th- listen, I'm still on board with try not to line match in no. OT. That is probably not the greatest move, but I think, yeah, it, 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 I, and it works. Yeah. I think it's a good sign too, where we we've, we've, we've mentioned so many times of the progression of this iteration of a Phil Deneau, where there were the struggles here and there, but, you know, he's showing up. He's finally showing that uh, there's that value. Now, again, I don't think this is going to affect yet the extension they're thinking about with him, if there's going to be an extension. But again, like it, it worked. Just keep at it. And I think it's just another sign too of what they've been able to kind of fix in the Dominic Ducharme era that when it comes to these line matching, that he's not afraid to kind of try these things, that, that these things can work in the right situations. Sorry, um, just as there was a little bit of breaking news um, with okay. with the Canadians, actually. Oh, uh, so last night, I guess last night Gallagher um, or a couple nights ago, Gallagher was got injured right hand. Um, it was his thumb. It was fractured thumb. I got to make sure it's right because it was not broken. I was very I was made very well aware that it was not broken. <laughs> Uh, they just placed him on LTIR, 
and he is expected to miss at least six weeks. And that will probably be the rest of the season. Pretty much for, for the most part, it should be the rest of the season. And I guess he might come back for that back half, that really last week of the season. If, if the Canadian division does end up getting extended, like they've been talking about, Mm -hmm. Uh, along with Brendan Gallagher, Gary Price did not travel to Toronto with the team. How big of an impact do you think losing those two guys are? And right now, Carey Price is short term, it seems like. But with Gallagher, it is long, longer. I, I think it's huge. I think they had this momentum going that, you know, a lot of the things we were going to talk, we, we've talked about, what we're going to talk about is that they've been able to kind of fix these mistakes. They've been able to kind of, you know, stop what, stop this this downward trend of what was going on with with this team where I'm not saying that they're going to miss the playoffs, but you know, there's definitely like that huge downward trend after that hot start. And I think they were finally getting back to that model of consistency there, but to miss two of those key guys down the stretch is going to be a bit tough for them. I think I still believe in Jake Allen. I still strongly believe in Montreal's depth that they've built, but listen, like these are going to be crucial games down the stretch. I think, Carry Price, it's going to be short-term, which is fine, but I think they're going to need both those goalies to be there. And to lose Brendan Gallagher, like, that, like it, it doesn't like just sap out the offense from there, but for me, it saps out the energy of having this character guy in the lineup that just really balances everything. Yeah, that, I, I, I 100% agree with that. I think it does, maybe not all of it, but most of, a, a lot of the... <laughs> a lot of the energy in that room. You brought up one thing there that I really want to, to stand out is that there, they have the depth this year. You know, if this was last season or even the season before that, we're talking about guys who probably should be in the NHL playing heavy minutes. But mm-hmm. this year, I think, you know, Michael Froelich has played like one or two games on the majority of NHL teams, he's probably in the roster. So I, I think there, that alone says how much depth they they have. Um, I just got sent this tweet. By anonymous source? By, by anonymous source, yeah. Uh, by placing Brendan Gallagher on LTIR, this is from Renault Lavoie, by the way, sorry. Uh, 3.75 million is released on the payroll of of the Canadians in view in time. My, I, you know what? I can't believe Google translate did this. This is great translation, (laughs) but pretty much they have enough cap space that they don't number one, don't have to make a move with the, because of Eric Stahl. And it actually leaves them a little bit more money to make, maybe make another move, but Hey, it's Mark Bergevin. He's probably going to say they're not doing anything. So do something. Yeah. Um. Again, a lot of teams have done this before. The Lightning were technically going to probably do this with Nikita Kucherov. Uh, the Blackhawks, you know, with Kimo Timonen and Patrick Kane when they won in 2013. Again, that's what they did before. Maybe another move there now. They have a bit of that cap space, and then once the playoffs roll in, they'll be okay. Yeah, that's uh, that is precisely 
what is going to happen. I mean, I, I'd imagine they, most people would rather have Gallagher than spending, <laughs> spending an asset. Cause I think he means that much more to the team than most guys they could acquire. Um, but you know, it'd be interesting to see what Bergevin does moving forward. Like there's about what, five days until the deadline, Mm-hmm. Who knows what we can see? Maybe Mark Bergeron has something hidden up his sleeve. Um, let's move. Unless do you have anything else to say about the Habs before we move on? Honestly, it's just going to be interesting to see this next stretch and how they're going to adjust. And one thing I'm just going to be interested in is just how they're going to structure those lines. Because I know here and there they had like Corey Perry on the second line, and they were just you know moving everything around. So right. they have options. They do. Uh, so let's go to the Leafs quickly. Uh, just a couple things. In LeBron, LeBron's article last night, uh, I was reading, uh, he taught, he had talked to Dubas. And there was a couple quotes that really stood out to me that I wanted to bring up. Number one, he said that Galchenyuk's play reduces the urgency to trade for a forward. I am slowly starting to get on board with that idea because I think the Leafs should go out and acquire a depth defenseman before they try to bring in another forward. Mm-hmm. What I I don't know how much you've watched of the Leafs and Galchenyuk specifically. Uh, he's been I, good. I, yeah. yeah, he he's been he's been good. It's a different Alex Galchenyuk than I think a lot has a lot of people have been used to. Do you think it's right for them not to go? For another forward, like what? What do you think the priority should be for the team? Honestly, I think it just you explore both options and you see what the best price is and right. how much can be retained on the other end. Because I don't think that, and I, I probably call Dubis is just you know brushing off the speculation, but I, I really think he's looking at every options given to him. Probably, yeah, because, that would be the yeah. smart thing, right? Because. I think that he could, there's so many depth forwards that are out there that they won't I don't think there's going to be too much of a of a of a bidding war for a lot of them. I don't think Mikael Grunlin for example is going to really get you a whole like it's not they're not going to ask for like a first round pick or second round pick for him. I think they're going to realize what they have with him and they're going to uh move him out depending on really what Nashville wants to do at this point. But I think even on the defensive end too that whatever comes to them they could they could they they should engage with but it i think it's just all about knowing what you can get based on what you're willing to give up and how much that impact is going to be because i think elchenyak i think the biggest difference now is and again like it's it's surprising that it's really worked out for toronto because i thought it was going to work out in pittsburgh because you have a Malkin, you have a Crosby where I think it was going to be like the Phil Kessel kind of thing, or it's just these guys are already in place. You know, our core is here. You know, we have our Jake Gensel, we have our Brian Russ, you know, just focus on you and play your game. Right. And I, it didn't work out. And then he goes to Minnesota as a bit of a, just a really a throw in for Jason Zucker. And then uh, he goes to Ottawa and, you know, that's not a situation where like, you know, a guy who's not necessarily like a, old veteran kind of thing but he's been around for quite a while that you don't kind of go there and try to rebuild your game especially when they have 
they have an understanding of like what they want to do moving forward in terms of a rebuild. But I think with Toronto, it just worked because again, of like the amount of leadership and veterans they have on that team where they, they helped guide him where he just kind of worked that, you know, for again, like for the reclamation projects for what didn't work with Jimmy VC has worked with Alex Genchenyak and right. they've just been really, they've been really, uh, really lucky with that. For, for sure. Yeah. I, I agree with that. An- another thing in the article that, uh, that was brought up is it was goaltending. Um, and it felt like, and it seemed like the expectation moving forward is still to have Anderson Campbell and Hutchinson moving forward for at least for the rest of the season. So I, I think this could really be a good sign for Freddie's health. Maybe, you know, looking at the back half of the back half of what's left of the season in the playoffs, um, do I think Keith either said this morning or yesterday that you know there's not there's not really a concern that he's not going to finish the season. So this idea that they're going to go out and get a goaltender, maybe that could be pushed aside. But again, it is the Toronto Maple Leafs. It is Kyle Dubas uh, as a, a I guess we can call him a you know a Lou a product of Lou Lamorello and he's been quite open recently, but this maybe is just a sign of him going back to saying no more honesty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just waiting to give us content Sunday night, you know, Monday morning. So. I really hope yeah, so. Thanks, Kyle. I, I really, really <laughs> hope so. Um just the a couple things from their last game. And I did want to touch on Calgary for a little bit as well. The power play curse has been lifted. I brought it up last episode. It wasn't the greatest goal. And I think Adam no. was right. Like Adam said, all they need is just a goal to go in. It could be the worst goal possible. And it kind of, it, it wasn't a great goal, No, <laughs> but it worked. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, just get what you can exactly. find the bounces, you know, it's all about, progress not perfection yeah uh before we move on to looking at tonight's game what is going on in calgary because it feels like ever since they got daryl sutter they had a you know a good first few games and they're doing it feels like they're doing worse under daryl sutter than they are they were under jeff ward like they're five nine and two for they're under um, Daryl Sutter, and they're they were like eleven, eleven and two under Jeff Ward. Yeah, um, I think there's an initial spunk that you get with the Daryl Sutter, right. where uh, that you know he knows how to energize his guys. He he, you know, he's no nonsense guy. He knows what the expectations are, but I think it's more of just what the core is he's given there. And I'm not saying these guys are bad players. It's just. I just don't think that what they have there is 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 like a core that you're gonna win with. Like I I don't trust a Sean Monahan or a Johnny Goudreau being your guy, like being the guys on teams. Like I think they're fantastic players, but I just again if I'm gonna use Phil Kessel as an example, I see Johnny Goudreau more as a Phil Kessel on a championship team. Same thing with Sean Monahan. I see him as a second line center. I don't see him as like your guy on the top line. And with Elias Lindholm, I see him as like, yeah, he could be on your top line, but he's going to be on the left side. Like they've used him at center before and it just hasn't worked. 
Yeah, they're in a really they're in a weird situation because you know when when we looked at this team after the offseason they had bringing in Tanf, bringing in Markstrom and then adding those guys at the bottom end of the lineup like a guy like Levo, you know, wow, like these guys made some moves. What was their issue last year? Goaltending. And they kind of fixed it or we thought they did and it hasn't really seemed to work out and it seems like they're going to not do anything at the trade deadline, which I guess makes sense. It seems like those top four positions in the North are locked. What do you think? And I've been thinking about this recently. What do you think of Brad Treliving? Do you think he's on the hot seat at all? I think yes. I think that, uh, and Will has, uh, Will Baldwin has mentioned this uh, many times on the yeah. show where there's just been so many things that have transpired with, you know, Bill Peters, Akeem Alou, um, with the team underperforming with, I remember when he was kind of, you know, testing the market to just see like, what would the interest be of a Sean Monaghan or a Johnny Goudreau where there's just these situations now where he wants to look for change, but at the same time, like they have to be incremental. Like even when they brought back Daryl Sutter, that's an incremental thing because it's a known, it's a known guy. You know what you're getting midway through the season when you decide to make this change that the, the daryl sutter signing when when i found out it was three years i started to back off to the idea that brad Treliving is on the hot seat it, it, like, like let's say they don't make the playoffs and i just don't know if he'll be fired because you're gonna you sign uh, Brad, you sorry, you signed Daryl Sutter for three years. We know that coach uh, general managers tend to prefer to have their coach. So you're gonna ride out the first two years of a new general manager with an old coach, like the coach of a previous GM. Probably not. I can't see ownership approving this and approving that signing. And then firing him an off season later, unlike it, it just seems weird to me because like, what GM is gonna say? Yep, I'll write out two years of Daryl Sutter and then bring in my old my own coach. Yeah, and I think it just maybe his perspective and our perspective. I think for his perspective, he still believes he can win with this roster that he's built. I think that. He has a quite a few pieces that are getting like Mark Giordano. I know he's like 38, but the amount of time he's, he's it took him to be in the league, like he's only like at least 33 in that kind of frame of mind, I guess, in, in terms of that. And they have like Yuzo Velamaki and like Rasmus Anderson out there. And then, you know, they have a Matthew Kachuk where he's, I think, he's just going to keep getting better. But it's just that reality of things where it's just the other guys you have in place, like what is their shelf life for you in terms of. If, in terms of looking at what is my playoff window, what what can I realistically achieve with this roster? Yeah, it. What I don't know what they can achieve because we've had the debate. Oh well, you know, it's they're the they're the Toronto of the West, and well, okay, Toronto has made their moves, and we're gonna find out. Right, that's this season, and they've so far they've done really well. Right, first in the division, Calgary on the other hand made their moves over the last multiple seasons. Right, that Hannafin, the trading Dougie Hamilton, bringing in Hamilton and Lindholm, 
Um, and then this season bringing in Markstrom and Tanev, and they're not even going to make the playoffs. Yeah. Like what is the like? There has to be some talk of this team needs to either be broken down, or there needs to be a major retool in a way. Like you're you're if I'm Brad Living, like every time I say Brad Living, I almost say Jim, and I feel really bad. Um, but there has to be that discussion. Goudreau, is he here or is he gone? Monahan, is he here or is he gone? Like. Something has to change here. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree that there has to be something there that you have to kind of establish that this is this is something that we have to put our like we I think yeah there has to be a culture change with things where maybe I don't know, there's a shakeup like I don't know do you do you start fielding offers for Mark Giordano do you get rid of Sam Bennett now and just see what you can get simply because it's just been a negative story this whole year. Like, I think those are just examples that I think of, or do you really go out and say, okay, you know, these guys are not getting a eight million a year. Like they could get moved. Like you trade a Johnny Goudreau or Sean Monaghan finally to just try to establish that we don't expect the same results from before. Well, what Goudreau uh, has one year past this year. Monaghan has another two years past this year. Lindholm has another three years past this year. I guess like those are, I don't, I wouldn't touch Lindholm. I think he's been a really good, especially that first year he was there was a really good addition. I do think you look at the guys who have been there for a while and say, okay, let's shake things up a little bit to kind of send a message. Like it's the same discussion that would be had in Toronto. If, if they enter the first round and lose, we're having this, we're having a discussion about what you do moving forward in terms of the core of this team. It's something that is going to be evaluated at some point here. And I think it's just been too long that you can't look away anymore. Yeah, I completely agree that for too long, I think Calgary, like they established something that was good there after the Aginla years, but they just haven't taken those next few steps to, to solidify it or keep adding to it properly. Right. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree. Um, anything else on Calgary before we move on to the Leafs and the Habs? I don't know. To be honest, I like the retro reverse jerseys that they played against the Leafs, but it's true. I don't know. I, 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 I just, I just don't think it's it's in them this year to kind of turn things around. Yeah, I, it's it's a little too late, and I don't know if any how like I don't know how many moves would really fix this, fix what's going on. Yeah, in terms of players, uh, tonight I'm getting the time up here. At 7.30, the Leafs and the Canadians will be facing off, and we are going to preview that in the most unbiased way possible here. Yes. Um, we already brought up the fact that Price will not be playing. It will be probably be Jake Allen. And now Brendan Gallagher is out for six weeks, or at least six weeks. So those are two additions that come out from the Canadians Canadians lineup. What do you, what is the expectation for this first game, especially without Brendan Gallagher, because that's a really a a long-term injury. And I think the team needs to 
with that guy out, they need to start by absolutely run going just full steam ahead. Yeah, I agree. I think that the Leafs have a lot of momentum now from their current streak that Montreal just has to go out there immediately. You know, either it's going to be from their rushes or it's going to be from, you know, playing that two-way game or having those grit guys just really kind of show up for them like a Josh Anderson or Corey Perry to really kind of, you know, establish the tone of the game, like what they want to kind of play because they're going to be a bit, they're going to be undermanned. They're going to have to deal with a Toronto team that they've, they've just, they've been really hot lately that I think Montreal wants to kind of make this an even tilt and they, they're going to have to kind of realize that they're dead. They're undermanned. I I think one thing that I think Montreal could do that would really stir the pot in their favor would be to play a, a more physical game against Toronto because in recent games and it, it, it's been brought to my attention from a couple people that um you know it doesn't look like that same it's still there but the protecting your guys are isn't necessarily there as much anymore like a couple uh Matthew well that was in overtime so it's a little bit different but you know Tavares I believe against Edmonton not the greatest hit and no one really stuck up for him um, maybe that's how you get to Toronto in a way. And especially since their power play hasn't been fantastic lately, taking the penalty, if they do, it's not a, that big, but who maybe it's April, maybe the power play will be great again. Who knows? But I still think that playing that rough game against Toronto is still maybe Toronto's one weakness. And I liked Speaking of, I'd like to see Toronto, how they battle against that, because the closer we get to the playoffs and once we actually get into the playoffs, things tend to get a little tougher. Um, And that's been Toronto's weakness in past years. But I think with the guys they have now, things can be a little different. Yeah, um, I guess in terms of like a fan perspective, I'd, I'd like to see you know Josh Anderson, Corey Perry versus a Jake Muzzin, uh, Wayne Simmons kind of kind of situation going on. If like we're gonna talk about like setting the tone for this game is gonna be physicality, right? Like that's what they that's what Montreal should do. Like I think that you put it really well. They have to set the tone this game. Like they have to set it. It can't be Toronto that sets the the tone considering their past play recently um i guess shifting to toronto quickly before we end the show what the ex- i think my expectation from that team is is continuing the way they've played the last few games and and their last few games it's really interesting they haven't been the most entertaining and i think that's really that's been a little off putting to some people but I think it shows that they can still they can still win if it's a boring game. And I don't think I would have said that last year. Yeah, I think right now they have really adjusted and they're not just really looking, you know, for those those rushes. They're not looking to just like you know, come in waves offensively for everything. I think a lot more now is a bit more calculated yeah. with the lines they're rolling out or what play they want to have. Um 
in the offensive zone. So Kimley agree, you know, it's not been um as Tim McAuliffe would say, it's not the sexiest of games. Correct. But it gets the job done. Yes. I think I think that's something it seems like Toronto has learned and that maybe comes with maturity. Um especially considering all the, how young those guys, most a lot of those guys are, is realizing that it's not all about the flash and the fun and this and that. Like It's going to get rough and tough, and you still have to be able to win those games. You have to be able to either say, hey, I can like light a spark offensively, or, you know, as they say in soccer, it'd be like parking the bus and playing that defensive that that defensive game, um, so it, it'll be interesting to see what Leafs team comes out tonight. Yeah, I think it's gonna be great. I think it's gonna be fun. Again, you love to see these type of games where what I, I would have said before. I love that there is that like it's been ignited again that that Montreal Toronto tilt because both teams are just competitive right now. I think it has. I think that's what's it feels like what's been missing for a while because it i mean recently the last couple of years it's been toronto montreal and then the last my hands down here by the way yeah. the last multiple <laughs> years it's been montreal and then toronto right so that that went for a long period of time while i think for a lot of fans there were still that rivalry there it just didn't necessarily feel the same because when both teams are doing really well the rivalry means so much more, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. The rivalry means so much more. I agree. And I think that, you know, this is a subtle comparison, but not not truly accurate. But it, it, it it's that same feel where I think Toronto for so long has been, you know, Toronto and Boston, right? Mm-hmm. And same thing with, um, even with the Raptors. For so long, it was LeBron versus the Raptors. And then when, you know, alignments change that it introduces, you know, the new or old rivalries from before that they're allowed to develop again when teams are competitive. Yeah, I, I think the the thing with the Toronto-Boston one, it always felt to me like a one-way street. Yeah. Uh, it was just Toronto. And listen, if Toronto eventually beat Boston or if it was Toronto beat Boston here, Boston beat Toronto here and other way around. And it kind of went back and forth. We're having a different discussion, but the fact that Boston just kept dominating and they won back to back series and then plus 2013, it felt like it was just a one way street. It didn't feel like it was reciprocal. (laughs) And the same with, uh, to be honest, it felt the same with LeBron and, and the Raptors too. Like it just every year it's like, man, just get past LeBron. It was one of those things. I'm I'm ready to get hurt again every year. Right. Like, it's like, come on, leave. Why did it have to be Cleveland? Um, Is there anything else before we end the episode? It's going to be fun. Um, Then you guys are going to have your uh, chat about it, but uh, let's see how the screaming goes. Um, I could see, you know, um, he's not here on the show today, but I could see Adam's activity. On Twitter regarding Brendan Gallagher. Yes. So best wishes to him as well. Uh, of course. Um, thank you for listening to another episode of the two on one podcast. If you did enjoy it, uh, make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you leave a review if you can. Um, check out the YouTube page if you're not watching on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, again, hit subscribe, hit like. 
uh, what am I missing? Check out Daniel's hockey writer stuff. Are you still writing for the eye opener? Uh, no, I think it's done for no now, but check out my old writer. stuff. So for the, the old stuff for the <laughs> eye opener and the hockey writers check out Adam's um, HFRs and his YouTube channel and check out all our social medias. Plus, if you haven't, with less than a week to go, so far only one guy is off the board. But go check out the tr- the big, uh, as we would call it, the trade big board. The big board. Uh, in the link, I believe, is already in the description. If not, it will be everywhere. You will see it. Make sure to check it out if you haven't already. And see you guys on Sunday. Thanks, guys.